Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? Welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. I'm getting fairly excited here because we're getting very close to episode number 20. So I thought that would be a good time just to do a little recap of what we've achieved so far and where we're heading in the future. Um, I'll be doing some blog posts on some of the things that we've learnt. I've started that with the top 20 things I've learnt so far from podcasting and I'll be looking further at our transcripts and making some notes so the rest of us can have a, have a bit of a read and take from it what we can. I've got a conference coming up in early October. I've booked my ticket and I'm pretty excited to get down there and see what everybody else is up to. It's on the Gold Coast and because the ticket costs me so much, I'll probably be staying in a tent. But I do believe that um, most of the attendees will be uh, living it up in five-star accommodation. Um, But we'll get there. Maybe next year we'll have that. Um, I'm in the process of writing my first newsletter. We've got quite a few subscribers now and they're waiting patiently for their newsletter. But I'm going to change from Aweber to ConvertKit. Um, The main reason for that is I can't work Aweber. It's all too complicated for me. But the real reason is ConvertKit is built especially for authors uh, like us. So once I work out how to get it going, I'll share that experience with you. And I'll try and get some of the guys from ConvertKit on to help us. Uh, it's certainly taken off in the writing world and it gets mentioned on a lot of the writing podcasts that I listen to. So that'll be newsletters, that'll be what I'm up to at the conference. Uh, I'm almost ready to launch my teenage story writing course, which is, uh, what's it called? Uh, Voices in Your Head. and and it's going under the title of Story Slingers. So we've recorded several of the videos for that, and they've all been really, really good fun, and we're moving ahead with that. I'm working on a novella with a couple of ladies here in Australia from the Romance Writers uh, group that I'm with, and I'll be putting out, I guess, some little mini videos on how to write a novella and the pitfalls that i found and the excitement and challenges and how to get to the end in 90 days or less. Um, and it's taken me probably 30 days which is a little bit scary but I was under pressure and I made a promise and I had to keep it. Uh, I'm looking at starting a female entrepreneurs, uh, what do you call it, membership group and I'm looking at the software that I need to do that. I've got quite a bit of interest in that. Several ladies have put up their hand and we'd like to join together and uh, to use our stories to grow our businesses So that'll probably happen sometime between now and the end of the year and we'll probably get that up and running early in the new year. But all our founding members for that one will come on board for free. After Christmas we'll probably charge a small monthly fee for that. Uh, Other than that I'm listening and learning every day, uh, listening to lots and lots of podcasts out there. Sometimes I think that there's way too much information out there and I get a little bit overwhelmed. And if I'm getting overwhelmed I'm guessing you're getting overwhelmed as well. So maybe it's time as we approach episode 20 of our podcast to sit back and just listen to how others do it. Today's guest is Rachel Amplett and she is an amazing lady and she's certainly making a success of her career. So sit back and enjoy. 
changing even now as we speak, like Facebook oh, have changed their analytics and, and stuff. completely overhauled Power Editor. Um, mm. And when we get to that, I'll talk a bit more about it. But mm. um, I'm finding that whereas you've got people like Adam Croft that are going great guns with sales adverts, mm-hmm. sales adverts don't really work for me. It's the mailing list adverts. That's where I'm seeing strength. And I'd, mm. to be honest, I, I spent a lot, of, a lot of money at the beginning of this year trying to make it work for me and get the same sort of results that Adam and others were getting and then just sort of gave up and went, no, that's not working for me. But what is working is getting, you know, people that are invested in me on my mailing list. Yeah. And my mailing list has just gone from strength to strength. And the the sort of emails, I sent out a survey to my mailing list launch team. So I've got about 75 people um, just, you know, sequestered to one side that also read all the ARCs and stuff like that and provide feedback and expert advice. And I threw out a survey um, about a week ago to them because I got some new things up my sleeve going forward and I wanted their input into my production schedule for the next 18 months. And the feedback I got from them was that they're not finding me necessarily through Facebook advertising. There are other, and I'm happy to talk about this, Mm. you know, when when we start recording, there are other elements that I hadn't even thought of that it's only in the past three months that I'm learning more about that they are, basically saying yeah this is the bits that catch our attention mm. so, i think we will i'm not, i'm almost tempted to record that last bit but we'll be we'll start again because this is what happened you know that day mitchell mitchelton we had i yeah. had two minutes i bought your book and within two minutes we were talking all the nitty-gritty stuff um and i yeah. thought yeah okay <laughs> yeah um, and i'm thinking i'm thinking we need to do this over a coffee and not yeah. skype anyway sometimes <laughs> we've got each other's mobile numbers now so we should do this yeah i've read that at the top with, I, yep. did, I did the same with um, another author friend of mine, Belinda Pollard, who's oh, okay. um, Small Blue Dog Publishing, yep. and um, she's local, and okay. uh, we've, we've got a few canny things up our sleeve for the coming months that I'm, I won't disclose at the moment because it's still in the early stages, but um, yeah, we, we met up for coffee, and it was just like an hour of just like, bleh! <laughs> <laughs> well, we should make it civilised. We should go out for... Um... Friday afternoon. Well, there's a drink Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Sanford pubs always <laughs> went there yesterday. Uh, <laughs> couldn't be bothered to cook lunch. The other half looked at me and went, pub. Yeah. Well, I, um, I know you're linked up with Amy Andrews because Amy was telling me that yeah. you're in a bit of a group together. So I'm only just starting to make contacts because I've been so very, very busy. But it can become time consuming. You know, that yeah. social media is a nightmare. <laughs> I'm just sorry, yeah. it's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I, I've actually got a bit canny because I neglected my blog at the back end of last year because I was so busy and I needed to concentrate on getting those three books out to build up the back catalogue. Mm. And I kind of let the blog rest and I was... The, I think there's a danger of... To, it's information overload, isn't it? And you're trying to do everything that everybody else that's working for everybody else. Mm. And this year I've, I've kind of more taken... A, well, this, at this time this year, this, this last few months... I've just hit the brakes. I've just gone, okay, I know I need to write more. I know I need to have a presence on Facebook. I know I need to do my blog and my mailing list. So what I've, I've kind of cheated with the blog. Um, this year I decided that I wasn't going to write any more blog posts, well, here and there. I write guest posts for other people's blogs and then link to them through my blog. And I interview other crime for the authors because I'm much more interested in what they've got to say than anything I've got to say on my blog. And I just fire off questions to them and they do all the hard yards. I get the questions to them and go, ah, great, I'll post it. <laughs> and that's, 
That's a great time saver. Yeah. Well, I just put out a, I put out feelers for a VA because I'm not doing I'm not doing my newsletter. I'm not doing my um, blog posts, and I'm not getting my transcripts up with my um, podcasts. And I thought they're yeah. all the bits that I hate. So I've just I'm yeah. just going to get someone else to do all that just for the next How few you, months. That's yeah. That's something that I will probably need to look at next year is letting go. I mean. I look at it like this this writing malarkey. You're a bit of a project manager anyway, aren't you? I mean, yeah. you, you farm out your editing, your cover design. Um, Brian Cohen, I got him to overhaul the um, description for White Gold for me because I was getting people onto my landing page through the Facebook ads, but they just weren't they weren't signing up. Yep. So, And he has a nice little package after reading his podcast with Mark Dawson and reading his, um, his e-book. I thought, well, okay, let's just... Let's pay some money. Let's get a head start. I'd rather pay Brian the money to do this than me spend the hours trying to work out how to do it, um, which could be a bit hit and miss. And he overhauled it. And there was there were a couple of things that were just too Americanized for my liking. My biggest audience is the UK, and I changed it all, and it has it has picked up. And yeah. so it's I'm, I think I'm okay with the rest of them. It was just getting that initial product funnel book perfect. Yeah. So those those signups come through. Yeah, and that's I haven't. I'm noticing with. I'm getting lots of people visiting. I'm getting lots of people downloading, but I'm not getting as many people signing up because I haven't streamlined that process either. Yeah, well, it's definitely worth reading Brian Cohen's. Um, he's got an ebook. Let me just see if I've got my Kindle app here. Yeah, uh, he's got a new one. Yeah, what I'm going to do while you're. Called- Yep. Yeah, go on. No, what I'm going to do while you're bringing that up, I'm actually going to introduce Rachel. Um, we've been talking now for 10 minutes, and rather than go back and start again and make Rachel repeat everything, I'm probably just going to put up what we've already talked about because what I'm talking to Rachel about, everyone out there, I'm sure you're going to be interested as well. So Rachel is obviously a fond of knowledge. That's why I've brought her on to the podcast today. I met her down at Mitchelton at a book signing, and within two minutes we were talking everything Joanna Penn, everything Mark Dawes, and, and everything to do with indie publishing. So I'm actually thinking that what we've been talking about you might like to listen to as well. Rachel, are you okay with that? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you might have to edit out some ums. <laughs> <laughs> I counted, uh, how many did I count? 19 ums in my last um, podcast and I thought I'm getting quite attached to my ums but I did make a rule that I'm not going to do it anymore. So Rachel is a thriller author and a very, very good one at that. And she does have quite a backlist now, which is pretty exciting. And I'll get Rachel to tell us about that in a moment. Um, but for now, let's continue that very interesting conversation on funnel books with Brian Cohen. Did you find the little ebook? Yeah, I have. It's called Writing a Sizzling Synopsis, or Synopsis, I should say. Mm. But yeah, um, overhauling the, the product description for that first funnel book, which is also the first book in my Dan Taylor series, I have noticed it just captures people people's imagination um, a bit better. I think the problem is that um, five years ago I published that book and I hadn't really re- revisited the blurb since then. And this is the beauty about being an indie. Um, you can go back and fix stuff. Um, I was much happier with the blurbs that I'd written for my other books and they weren't funnel books. So once people are in the funnel, they're going to go and read them anyway. Um, so... Paying Brian to, uh, he's got these awesome packages for indie authors. If you don't have time to read the book, sit down and tweak your your book blurbs, he can do it for you. And it was a really good learning curve. Um, You know, looking at what he'd written for that, that product funnel and seeing the actual effect of people not leaving the, the launch page or the landing page for that book, 
and actually signing up, it's been incredible. It's, it's really good. Yeah, and I think that's the trick, not to get people to sign up before they leave the launch page, uh, give them lots of free content now, which is um, becoming very, very popular. The more we yep. give them for nothing, uh, the more people are interested and the more they trust us, and it actually works the opposite to what some people are thinking. Don't give anything away, why should we? But it's actually the opposite. The more you give, the more you get. And it's such a mind set change isn't it from going but I wrote this I don't want to give it away for free what I'm doing now is giving away white gold the first in the series and then a week later I'll send people the extent an extended extract from under fire which is something like the first 20 chapters it's more than you'll ever get on the preview for Amazon and then a week after that I do the same with my one of my standalone books before nightfall and it's giving people a really good opportunity to see you know try before you buy do you like my writing you know i've, I've got nothing to hide here if you enjoy it great there's seven books there's one <laughs> um and if you don't that's fine you know it's i'd much rather i think that's the thing i'd much rather have people sign up read the book and the extracts and decide no this isn't really for me and leave the mailing list, then A, have them on there because they're costing me money, or B, leaving a review, a, a bad review on Amazon because they didn't enjoy it because it really wasn't up their street and they shouldn't have been reading it in the first place. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm making so many friends through the mailing list as well. There are people that will email me after I send out one of my monthly newsletters and we'll go on to have a completely separate chat over email about writing stuff and, and what they're doing in their life and, and comparisons to, you know, travel and, you know, what we enjoy and music we like. And, and that's, a, that's a hidden bonus, I think, as well of mailing lists. Yeah, and we were talking at the very beginning there before we decided to record, and Rachel's a very good sport about that, um, not having to start again. Uh, so mailing lists and advertising through your mailing list is far more successful than the traditional, when I say traditional, we've only been doing Facebook advertising for a few years, uh, but times are changing. Yeah, I think I think I definitely need that Facebook advertising to get people on the mailing list. It's all very well saying, yes, mailing list is key, but you have to use a mechanism to get people to discover that mailing list in the first place. And without Facebook advertising, that just wouldn't have worked for me. I had, before I started Mark Dawson's course, I just did the, um, the initial three courses last year. And I think it was about July I did that. And prior to that, I think I had about 70 people on the list. Um, in the months following that course, and I did the paid course as well, I think I jumped to about 2,500 genuine quality subscribers on that list. And it just keeps going up. Yeah, and that's the trick too, isn't it? Quality subscribers, getting people who actually love what you do as opposed to people coming on to get a freebie and disappearing again. Yeah, you will always get those, like I said, but it's I, I sort of factor that in. I know perhaps for every 10 people that turn up to, to a freebie chasers, but I'd rather they did that and then just left. Um, but you just sort of factor that in. You know that you're going to get out of those ones that leave. The ones that stay are probably going to stay with you and if they don't buy all the books at full price, you know that when you send a newsletter out that to do a promotion that I mean, I did a 99 cent promotion on Look Closer, my st one of my standalone books at the beginning of this month, uh, with, you know, in August. And before the book, I had I managed to score BookBub 99 cent promo. And I keep my costs down by not advertising to the US. That's the, that's the key with BookBub. If you want to do it cheaply, just select the international option. Apologies to anyone in America, but it's blooming expensive given our exchange rate there. 
And so the, the newsletter went out with the link to the 99 cent promo. I can't remember if I've ever done a 99 cent promo on that book before, which may have helped. The two days before the BookBub promo, because of my mailing list, that book was a bestseller. And then the BookBub promo kicked in. And then a couple of other newsletter subscriber-based promos kicked in. And this, this month, even when the book went back to full price after a week, has been phenomenal for sales. And it's because the mailing list kicked it off. I don't think I'd have seen the same sort of success if I'd just relied on the BookBub promo. Yeah, and I think uh, as as we're listening to Rachel, we can gather that you work very hard at your marketing and your business, um, but you're also writing, uh, working very hard on your writing. These things don't come easy. It takes time and dedication over over years. Yeah, and I think also I'm very lucky and my other half, Nick, supports me as well. You've got to have the support of the people around you because, I, you know, I work, I, I write on the train, I, I get up early in the morning, I spend an hour before I even get on the train doing, replying to emails and, and doing what I need to do marketing-wise. I come home at 6 o'clock, half past 6, I sit in front of the computer for another two hours and we, I do the same at weekends. It's, um, you know, this weekend I'm... Um, in the middle of um, having the audiobook for White Gold recorded. It's been all recorded. I now have to sit through seven and a half, eight hours of audio checking everything. And there goes the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it, yeah, you do need the support of people around you. It's not, it's like I said before, I feel like I'm a bit of a project manager and I've, I've got people around me that I can turn to to just say, can I do this? Or, you know, Nick, make sure, Nick here, he makes sure I eat. You know, I'll, I'll be in the office of an evening and Nick sticks his head around the corner and goes, I'm cooking veg, do you want some? <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing that Rachel and I started talking about and got us carried away is when do we call in people, how many people do we call in to help? And I'm looking at this whole VA space and getting someone in to do all the stuff that I'm really bad at, like paperwork, and I thought, we lose our voice. I'm a bit worried by getting someone else to take over the blog that I have a rather unique sense of humour and if I get someone else to do it, it's not going to be as personal. But I'm wondering whether that actually matters. I think it comes down to the individual. There's something that I would never, ever give to a VA and that's responding to emails. I will always respond. You know, I, need, I, I want people to know that if they email me, it's me at the end of that email. It's me that's writing back to them because, as you say, we have unique voices. We have quirky senses of humour. And I don't want people to think, think that I'm not available to speak to or, um, you know, to, to interact with. The sort of things that I think I'm going to have to start letting go of and delegating um, in the coming months, and um, I'm trying to hold out until next year, is things like researching authors to interview for my blog, um, sending out, you know, looking for different marketing opportunities. I'm, I'm at a point now, and I'm having, dis I'm having talked to other authors and stuff, I'm, I'm really torn as to whether I start seeking out you know, a literary agent to help me with things. Like, I'd love to go and pursue more foreign rights. I'd I sold the foreign rights to White Gold um, a couple of years ago, completely by accident, because the publisher approached me. And I know there are other opportunities out there, but I don't have time to sit down and approach all these other publishers I want to approach. So it's how do I get someone to do that on, on my behalf and trust them to do it? At the end of the day, it's I've built a brand, and I don't want to sound big-headed doing that, but there's a lot riding on this now. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's a difficult juggling act, isn't it? 
Yeah. And even when I first met Rachel down at Mitchelton, the thing that attracted me to your little stall there was the professionalism with which your books, A, were produced, but B, presented. You do have quite a catalogue of books now, and I did think straight away, oh, there's another writer like um, Joanna or J.A. Penn. Is it J.A. Penn? J- yeah, Joanna. Uh, it's J.F. Penn. J.F. Yeah. Penn, that's right. Sorry, it's Sunday morning. I'm not doing very well at all. <laughs> not to worry. Uh, and I think that that image, that professionalism, it comes with hard work. You mentioned the word luck, but I'm going to suggest that it's not luck, that you've you've put in a lot of hours, um, plus a full-time job, I'm guessing, uh, yeah. that's been going the whole time. Are you thinking about giving up that job at all in the future? It's a dream. Um I don't know how far away it is. It's certainly something that's rattling around in my head. Um, not at the moment. Uh, it's, I need to be in a very, very comfortable position with my writing before I have the confidence to let go of normal things like a, a job and stuff like that. And to be honest, I like going to work because I get ideas. You know, it gives me a complete cutoff from thinking about the writing all the time. So I think both benefit from having that, you know, you know when I'm – when I'm thinking about my writing, I'm not thinking about my work. So when I go to work, I'm refreshed. Um, when I'm when I'm at work, I'm learning other things that I, you know, I, I I can say, oh, you know, jot down a note there. That might be that might be something worth pursuing for an idea. Uh, and that's where you know, for the last seven years, I've worked with engineers, and you hang around with engineers, you get so many ideas for stories because some of the conversations they have are just so out there, you wouldn't believe. You know, <laughs> it's just so. For the present time, I'm managing to balance it. I think if I get any busier than this, something's going to have to give. Yeah, and you talked about a schedule, a production schedule. So you've obviously yeah, got a few books in the pipeline. Scary yeah. and nerdy. <laughs> um, my attitude changed at the beginning of last year. I overhauled the two covers that I had in the current series for Dan Taylor, White, Golden, Under Fire. I really liked the covers that I had, but readers didn't. So complete change of approach had the new covers done and ready for january 2015 over that christmas i also sat down and wrote down my first business and marketing plan you know i've i've helped run small businesses i've helped run big businesses so i knew the i knew the bones behind the business and marketing plan and what what i needed to have in there and about halfway through last year i because i had the three books that i wanted to publish last year i had to put together like a project schedule as to when I was going to get those books finished, when they were going to go to the editor, when I was going to order the covers, when I was going to send them out to beta readers, when I was going to get the editor back, and when I was going to put them on pre-order and actually publish them. And I had a production schedule. I just did it in Excel. Um, like colored blocks everywhere as to the targets that I had to hit to be able to do what I did last year. And it worked. You know, it was, it was phenomenal. Last year was just, I just kicked it out of the water. And this year I've done the same thing, except that now... I do a business and marketing plan for each quarter of the year. So January to March, that's the first one, and, and so on and so forth. The production schedule is an 18-month, two-year look ahead. So although I've got a three-month marketing and business plan, I know what I'm publishing through to the end of next year. I know where, what I've got to write, where I've got to get covers done, when I've got to get to the beta readers, et cetera, et cetera, until December 2017. Well, you might have heard that um, Rachel and I were trying to plan a night out at the Sanford pub with another friend of, of hers. We might have to schedule that in. How many books have we got to look forward to in the next 18 months? In the next 18 months, there should be at least four. 
Yeah, and that's a pretty impressive schedule by anyone's standards. Yeah, I wanted to do three this year, but we had a month away travelling. After going to Crime Fest, we caught up with family and friends and stuck a holiday on the end. The month off did me the world of good. I plotted out a whole heap of books, which is probably going to come back to bite me. Um, so I'm hoping uh, to get another book, a second book out this year, but certainly three books next year. It needs to be. It needs to be. I've got to keep that. It, it comes down to visibility. The minute you stop writing, you can do as much marketing as you want, but if you don't have a new product out every six months as a minimum, you're going to lose momentum. Yeah, and that's impressive. Again, the theme that's running through all my podcasts since I started 16 episodes ago was people work really, really hard to get to the stage where you're at. You're not just doing it on weekends. You're not just doing it when you feel like it. It's serious business, bum on seat or bum on train yeah. seat, as you said, yeah. and weekends yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's and that's what changed for me. I only started seeing success when my mindset changed. When I first wrote White Gold when, and then when Under Fire came out, White Gold I wrote for myself. Under Fire I wrote because friends, family, a few, a few readers, uh, you know, contacted me and said how much they enjoyed it and when's the next Dan Taylor book coming out. I was like, oh, I've got to do it again. Um, and, <laughs> and so the first two books were a bit, really I just wrote them for me. And the second, you know, Under Fire I, I wrote just to prove that I could do it again. And... Uh, Back end of 2014, when that when that um, Italian publisher contacted me and said, "Okay, we want to, we are really interested in, in having the foreign rights for white gold," it was kind of like, "Oh, okay, this is serious." And when I, like I said, at the beginning of 2015, spending the money overhauling those covers, spending the time putting together a decent business and marketing plan, that's when things really started to happen. Yeah, and you're obviously tech savvy; you can work your way around all this stuff. Uh, most of it, yeah. If I can't, I usually, you know, cop a strop, stamp my feet a bit and then find out someone who can do it for me. <laughs> yeah. And I noticed uh, I was listening to an interview this morning you were on, I think it was a Mystery Writers interview that I found on your website. Yeah, there. with Alexandra a few, a few months ago, yeah. Yeah, and it said something about you, you drifted through your first couple, as you're saying, but then you worked out that if you didn't plot them and plan them, you wasted words. I think one of your novels was about 20,000 words wasted. Yeah, so that I'm, was under fire. Yeah. yeah. So I'm guessing that to keep to the schedule that you're writing at, you need to have those books plotted out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and people, think, people hear the word outline or plot and just freak out, and it's not that bad. All it means that all those scenes that you get going around in your head when you first start getting the story idea – you, you just jot them down into some sort of coherent order. I'm a big fan of Scrivener. I love it because you've got the whole index board thing. You can move things around. And then once I've got the bare bones of those scenes that I'm seeing in my head, I just jot down a few bullet points to describe what happens in that scene. And you just build that outwards. It doesn't matter where you start. You can do some stuff over here and some stuff here. And you just build it together. And, and that's what I do. So when my bum hits that seat on the train in the morning, if I don't fancy writing one particular scene, I, I just can't get into it. Rather than stop writing, I can go, okay, well, I, I quite, that quite takes my fancy, that scene. I'll go and write something in there. And it's like last week, you know, between where we live and, and where, I, where I commute to in the city, before I change trains, I've got 700 words down. And if I'm not too tired on the way home, I'll do the same. I've, I've had some great writing days recently where I'm hitting 1,200, 1,300 words just on a 35-minute 
tranking it each way. Yeah, and before anyone gets into a major panic, we do live at the end of the train lines. She's not going to get left. <laughs> and that's kind of good too because if you've got your head down writing on your way home, at least you don't have to worry about missing your stop. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've had that a few times ourselves. Uh, we were talking earlier about Facebook and you mentioned a power editor. Yeah, Power Editor is just the Facebook interface for creating your adverts and everything. Um, it works in Chrome, doesn't work in um, uh, Internet Explorer too well, if at all. It's, it's just basically you, you can monitor your campaigns, monitor your ads, see what they're doing, find out which ones to kill if they're, they're costing you too much money. Um, definitely recommend Mark Dawson's free intro course. Uh, a lot of us do. Uh, it's... It's good. It gives you the comp- a lot of this. A lot of all of this comes down to confidence, and just having a go. And if you do the Facebook stuff, you don't have to spend a lot. You will spend some money, but you can set yourself a budget of like a couple of dollars a day, and just tinker around with it. And I've had great success with adverts for advertising my mailing list, for example. I'm just spending five dollars a day. I don't know what to say about that. I've, I've, I've paid for um, Mark Dawson's full course. I've got the whole yes, thing so sitting right. there. And I'm going to go and sit back and actually go through it again because I haven't had time to, you know, you soak up so much and go, wait, I'm going to go and try this. And then I need to sit. I think a lot of people has, as well I've heard have actually gone back and done it from beginning to end again and picked up new things to test. It's a very good course, and I think it's worth the money. Yeah. I'm just a bit concerned that things are changing so very quickly, and I know Mark's on top of that. Uh, we were talking about algorithms changing, and it's it's harder and harder to reach audiences now unless you do pay on Facebook. Yeah, I just think that as a business, though, you're always going to pay for advertising. It's just one of those things. Um, what You know, my royalties, everything I earn from my books goes back into the books. I treat it like a business. And, it's, it, again, it comes back to mindset. If you want to be successful at being an indie author, you have to run it like a business and businesses have expenses. I run a spreadsheet. I know what's coming in. I know what's going out. Um, I plan ahead. If I can't afford to do some Facebook advertising one month, that's fine. I just put it on a pause. I, I, I leave it until I've got some royalties coming in and I, off I go again. But you're not, you're not going to get anywhere for free. You, you don't in life. You're not going to do it in indie publishing either. You've got to speculate to accumulate as the saying goes and so and that's what that's the message I need to get out to my listeners and I'm sure a lot of them already know that and as you're listening here Rachel's giving us the best advice ever is that it is a business we do have to treat it as such we do have to pay our dues we do have to learn the ropes Uh, I spend a lot of time educating myself listening to podcasts on the way to school I don't have yeah, a train like, I do the same I'm hooked <laughs> and there's so much advice out there and so many people giving us so much information but that doesn't mean there's not room for more stories uh, we all have a unique voice I'm guessing and we all have stories to tell and I think as well in the indie community and there's so much support there's no it's not a competition there are plenty of readers out there for everybody by I'm a big believer in paying it forward and I get a bit ticked off when I help out people and they don't pay it forward. I don't expect it back. Just go and help other people. And I, I do get annoyed when I don't see that happening because there are no secrets. What works for one person might not work for you or, or somebody else. It's As we said at the beginning, you know, I, I don't see much success from Facebook advertising for sales. I, my successes are in building up my mailing list. I've 
haven't had like that flash in the pan, big boom success book. It's been a steady, a steady line of progress for me, but, but that trajectory is, is going up it. And I think going forward with the publishing industry, I think you're going to see a lot more traditionally published. I'm not anti traditional published at all. I think there's a place for it, but I think over the next five years and forwards, you're going to see a lot more what they call hybrid publishing, where authors that are traditionally published will continue to see out their contracts and, and like because they're happy working with that publisher and they've got a great relationship and great branding and marketing. But if they want to write something else, they can go and self-publish. They can become indie and therefore hybrid. Yeah, and I'm, I'm finding that hanging out with the same kinds of writers actually boosts everybody up. So you're a thriller yeah. writer, thriller writers in Australia. I did a course with L.A. Larkin. I think it's Louise Larkin. Yeah, she's yeah, great. She, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Louise, if you're out there, I'm chasing you. I want, I want you on the podcast eventually. Uh, <laughs> so, and I just think that by banding together, we, we all have a, a stronger voice, and especially out here in Australia, uh, getting, getting our voices heard is a bit of a trick. Uh, how do we do as far as uh, thriller writers go here in Australia? Have we got lots? Oh, yeah, you've got some fantastic thriller writers. You've got people like Greg Barron, Chris Allen, um, Helene Young, uh, she writes romantic suspense. Uh, her books are fantastic. Yeah, she's um, coming on. She's coming on the podcast next week. She's down at the Romance Writers um, Conference at the right, moment. Yeah, at the moment, all get doled up. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we, there are thriller writers in Australia, and they are. It is quite close knit. I think romance is the biggest genre in Australia, and they seem to have a huge community over here. Um, and I think that's why, like I said, I think my, you know, like I said earlier when we were chatting, I think. That's why my my biggest audience is in the United uh, in the United Kingdom, followed by Canada, uh, then the United States, and then here in Australia. And when I went over to Crimefest in Bristol in May, I really found my tribe there. It it was quite phenomenal the shift. Um, hopefully, we'll get there in Australia. I think it's got a long way to go, and that is one of the 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 barriers I've had to overcome here to find readers and stuff. I actually. I actually put all my effort into those three biggest markets these days, which is unfortunate. I, that's why I think I'm really lucky that I can go down to the local bookshop that have supported me since I started five years ago and have a local presence because online it's just, it's just not there in Australia yet. No, and I think we'd like to say that it's changing, uh, but I notice that yeah, the traditional, I guess, publishing community do have a very strong uh, presence, but a lot of people buy their books online nowadays and, and I guess people yeah. don't look at where, where your book is published, they don't look who, at who published it, they just look and see if it's a great book and if it's a great book, exactly, um, go and write another great book because then you'll be doubly successful. Yeah, and I think for anybody starting out as well, don't limit yourself to selling in Australia. I think there are a few authors that think you know they're just going to make it big on Amazon Australia or they've got to get a traditionally published deal here. Australia is a very, very small reading community. It's, I'd be definitely looking at the UK and Canada and, and America. You've got readers there that are going to soak up books, you know, forever. I, I, I really like publishing on the Kobo platform because you, on your dashboard you get a little map that shows you where you've sold books. And I got my first sale in Serbia <laughs> this month. It's just like, well, hey, <laughs> international. <laughs> <laughs> and I look at the listens. I've got a circle on my um, grid that tells me who's listening to my podcast. And there's probably about eight countries that I can't even pronounce. Um, and there's this little, I guess, eighth of my podcast circle is is 
getting out there in all sorts of places. That's and exciting. It is. Yeah. Um, and we like to think that our voices are heard all over the world and that it's all a bit more democratic nowadays. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to take you moving right along to a picture that you have on your website and it's this lovely picture of you driving an Aston Martin <laughs> in a place called Goulburn Listeners, which I'm very proud of because I was born and bred there. And I looked on there and I thought, nobody's even heard of Goulburn and here is Rachel sitting up in this most amazing vehicle, Aston Martin, at a spy fest in Goulburn. And I thought, don't tell me I've left, left the literary hub of Australia to move north. And now it's all happening back in Goulburn. Yeah, Spyfest, this is what's coming back. This is um, Greg Barron, Chris Allen and Scott Baker. And the Thriller Writers of Australia Association, which is a a group they set up to just sort of help each other out and and bandy ideas around. We had a request or an invitation last year to go down to the first Spyfest. And it was, I think it started off as a napkin idea. (laughs) <laughs> down in the local newspaper, you'll have to ask Chris Gordon, the, one of the local editors down there, how it how it transpired. But by the time that we got down there in September last year, they'd even managed to convince George Lazenby to come home for it and be the guest of honour. So the four of us did a Q&A panel about writing thrillers, and it was a lot of fun. It really was. We it was very laid back. We came up with most of the questions ourselves and just took the mickey out of each other, had a really good time. The entire weekend was such a success for Goldburn that the second one is happening this September down there. Yeah, I'm surprised anyone would go to Goldburn before November and after January. Um... <laughs> and I have, to, I have to point out the Aston Martin isn't mine. Uh, one day I'm going to buy an Aston Martin. It's on my wish list. You know, the minute I sell those movie rights, I'm straight down to the local dealership and saying, that one's mine. Um, but we were, we were leaving our motel. And I've already spotted, because I just love Aston Martins, I'd spotted on the Friday night when we arrived that the Aston Martin Club was staying in the same motel as us, and I'm drooling over the cars in the car park. And as we're leaving on the Sunday morning to get back to Sydney for our flight home here to Brisbane, we saw the guys that own the Aston Martins and their wives, and they were all like having breakfast and stuff with their, 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 um, their doors open. And I... <laughs> I turned to my other half and went, stop the car. I'm going to see if I can sit in one of the Astons. And so I bribed one of the owners of the Aston and went, look, if I give you a signed book, can I sit in your Aston Martin? <laughs> and that's another reason to write, everybody, is your books open doorways for you. You never know what opportunities will arise. <laughs> and be cheeky. <laughs> uh, I think the biggest message that comes through today is that it's all about relationships. It's all about putting yourself out there. It's all about having the confidence Everybody wants to be your friend if you're brave enough to put your hand up. Yeah, I'm not brave by nature. It's um, I have myself quaking in my shoes sometimes. I was on the, the indie panel at Crime Fest being interviewed by Zoe Sharp alongside Rachel Abbott and two more, two more of my peers in May. And, oh, my God, I was so nervous during the first question. It was just like playing in bands again. Before you get the first guitar solo under your belt, you're an absolute mess. And then you settle down. But... Um, yeah, I've got to work on the confidence thing. It's yeah. like anything, but yeah. it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of hard work, but the opportunities that have that have cropped up along the way and the fun that we've had 
it's, it's been worth it. Yeah, and every step takes you to new opportunities. I've only been going here for oh, less than two months and I've met the most amazing people and had the most interesting conversations. And I think if I hadn't started this, I wouldn't get to talk to people all over the world and, and have the fun that I'm having. Uh, it's It really is a big family, I'm guessing. Yeah, it is. And it's like you say, the more that you do things like this, and so I'm doing interviews on my blog rather than podcasts. So I just, I take my hat off to you doing podcasts. I'm just not that organized. But it is, it, it becomes, the world becomes a small place and you realize that it's a, it's a great community to be in. It really is. Yeah, I blame, and I'm going to finish up now because um, I've got to go and take my daughter to dancing. Uh, well, she's gone to dancing. <laughs> I've got to go and find her. Uh, it all started, and this is a common story amongst a lot of writers, it all started with Enid Blyton. Yep. Yep. It's all her fault. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a passion for everything Enid Blyton. Uh, I still read her famous five stories today. When we lived in Ireland, I had all her books on audio, uh, and I just thought she must be the most amazing or was the most amazing storyteller ever to have people generations later still saying it all started with um, the Famous Five and Timmy and George. Yeah, and I was, I was chatting on um, Facebook with the thriller author Alex Shaw back in the UK, and he put on there that he's, he's you know, his two little boys, he started, he started reading them, the Famous Five. I was like, there you go, there's going to be two more thriller authors. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, tra- I was travelling around um, Australia with the caravan selling books out of the side door, and I had a little boy come up to me and he says, oh, I just love Enid Blyton. And I had, my brother and I read some middle grade fiction. Yeah, from I Goldman. saw those on your yeah. website. Yeah, down the south coast of New South Wales. Beautiful, beautiful part of the world. Batemans Bay Writers Festival coming up, I think, in September. Um, and that's turned into a bit of a um, literary fest as well. Uh, you can't go past a good old-fashioned story. We don't all need to be writing about vampires and some of that other... I don't want to knock erotica. Um, because obviously it makes a lot of money, but I just thought, imagine reading that aloud to your children. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be an (laughs) eye-opener. Look, thank you, Rachel. Thank you for being a good sport. Thank you for um, picking up where I threw you in the deep end and said, let's just keep going. Let's just start the intro a bit later, 10 minutes in. Um, Save us having to backtrack and go through it all again. You've been beautiful. I look forward to uh, catching up with you and your friends out at the Sanford Hotel, which is a beautiful part of the world. Amy Andrews is out there. Uh, You can see the mountains, probably a little bit like um, England, I should imagine. It's Pretty close to an English pub, not quite. No yeah. castles. <laughs> <laughs> and it's warmer. All right, I'm going to yeah. say goodbye from me and goodbye from Rachel. Uh, Rachel waved. <laughs> <laughs>